Well, good morning. When Dawn and I lived in the, the United Kingdom, uh, the church that we planted was full of young people, particularly in their 20s and their 30s, and the oldest person in the church was 41, and it was not me, and now I find myself being 51, so this was some time ago. And many of them were creative types. We had professional and full-time dancers and actors, musicians, painters, industrial, graphic designers, branders of companies, a a large number of artists. We had the opportunity to go to some gigs and performances and see some of the end results of their works. On one occasion, Don and I went to the Laban Dance Center and watched one of our church members perform a ballet. And it was beautiful. I remember thinking how every individual must dance his or her particular part exactly in order that the whole group can stay in precisely the right line without a single toe or heel out of place. It takes years of training to dance like that, of course, and hours of practice for each particular show. But the beautiful performance is worth all the work. Three times in our Second Thessalonians reading, Paul uses a word which could have been applied to a dancer who lost concentration for a moment and allowed a foot or an elbow to move just a little bit out of line. Watch out for those who step out of line, he says. We didn't step out of line when we were with you, he says in verse 7. But in verse 11, he says, I hear that some of you are stepping out of line. The dance is being damaged. The flow of the drama is interrupted. Every individual must take care to stay in line so that the whole dance team may have its desired results in a beautiful performance. I want to just remind you of last uh, Sunday we looked at 2 Thessalonians as well in chapter 2. And he, and he talked about standing firm and remember the traditions that you were given. And we're being told again this morning something very similar, but we're also talking about remember the traditions. Paul talks about that in our um, text this morning as well. I don't think that Paul is saying that anything less than perfection is unacceptable. If that was the case, all the churches that he planted and stayed in communication with and every church since, including ours, would be disqualified. But what he is saying is that when we are out of line, we need to realign. We need to take sin seriously and throw ourselves on Jesus. Because our mess reminds us why we need a Savior. He's calling us to take our faith and our behavior seriously to stay in line. So what is the problem going on in the context of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? It is a problem that only appears in a community that is seriously attempting to live as a family in mutual support and the demonstration of love and care for those in need. Paul did not ask, as the early Jerusalem church had done, that followers of Jesus turn over their property into a common purse. People in Thessalonica still owned houses and shops and personal belongings, but he did require that all the members of a church should be committed to sharing with one another as each had legitimate need. The problem with this is that it is all too easy for some in such a community to slacken their own work and to rely on the efforts of others. This, he says, 
is stepping out of line. And when Paul had been with them, even though as an apostle, he had the right to have them pay for his upkeep because he was king, that church leader should be financially supported. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. However, he refused to make use of this right in order not to put extra burden upon this local community. Now listen to the way the, the Message Bible paraphrases this. I, I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, captures some of this language and you know as you're as your priest for the last uh, seven years, when I preach, I often make some references to the Message Bible because I just love the way he captures some of this language, though in a paraphrase. It says, our orders, backed up by the Master Jesus, are to refuse to have nothing to do with those among you who are lazy and refuse to work the way that we taught you. Don't permit them to freeload on the rest. We showed, how, we showed you how to pull your weight when we were with you, so get on with it. Uh, We didn't sit around on our hands expecting others to take care of us. In fact, we worked with our, our fingers to the bone up half of the night moonlighting so that you wouldn't be burdened with taking care of us. And it wasn't because we didn't have a right to your support, because we did. We simply wanted to provide an example of diligence, hoping it would prove contagious. Each member should work at whatever occupation they could so as to contribute to the welfare of all and all should care for each other. Love must not be taken for granted. Love doesn't mean taking advantage of the generosity of others or allowing others to take advantage of ours. To receive love as well as to give it, one must not step out of line and freeload. Now, it appears that some in Thessalonica had been out of line in just this way. Paul calls them busybodies. Do you know any busybodies? Paul calls them going around visiting people, being all up in each other's businesses and imposing, not working, filling time with less than helpful activities like gossip and relying instead on the generosity of others. This kind of activity hurts the body of Christ, and it hinders our witness in the world. This idleness was caused in part by the false teaching that because Christ would return any day, people should set aside their responsibilities, quit work, do no future planning, and just wait for the Lord to return. And of course, we talked about that last week. But their lack of activity and work only led them into sin. And I want to—I guarantee you—when we have a lot of time on our hands, we can easily be tempted to sin. When we are a busybody, that in of itself is a sin. And when we gossip, it is a sin. We're stepping out of line. But that wasn't the only reason. Just um, as in any household, it is sometimes tempting for one member to sneak out of regular family duties and rely um, on others to do it. Freeloaders taking advantage of the love of others to get a free ride. And you know what? That can take place in the local church community as well. And this is an unnecessary burden that must be stopped. We all have gifts and should be using our gifts in and through the local church community, the body of Christ. It takes the whole church to be the church. And whenever we are not using our gifts, then the church is being hindered to function in the way that God designed it to be. 
Now, Paul makes it clear that we ought to stay away from believers who are lazy and refuse to work. Now, that's some hard words, isn't it? In in terms of my illustration earlier, they need to be sent back to dance school until they learn what it means to keep in line. Paul was not encouraging coldness or unkindness, but was encouraging tough love. All Christians are called to live accountably with a teachable and a humble heart and live as apprentices to Jesus Christ as disciples who are perpetually being formed and shaped so that they can walk in line to the ways of King Jesus and his kingdom where he rules and he, and he reigns. Now, we talk about that a lot here at All Saints. Many modern Western churches hate the idea of discipline and staying away from believers who refuse to work as a form of discipline and tough love. Many people think it is unloving. And of course, there is such a thing as harsh, judgmental, self-serving discipline, and this is not what Paul's talking about. Now, when I use the word judgmentalism in this context, I'm using it according to the negative ways that the Bible talks about, about it, that most of us are familiar with, and that is when we look down on others and judge them to make ourselves look better. Now, we're all called to make judgment looking at God's word between what is right and wrong. Now, that's another form of judgment, and that's not a negative thing. So we need to use God's word at, um, as a way of showing uh, the truth and a way in which we are to follow. But we are not called to look down on other people and make ourselves look better. Some people today call foul ball and get offended and defensive when they are personally confronted over their sin that divides and hurts the community, the body of Christ, and their witness of Christ in the world. Unfortunately, they might leave the church and hold bitterness and resentment in their heart and talk bad about its leaders because they refuse to be accountable and take responsibility for their sin. For example, gossip is destructive to the body of Christ. Gossip, let me say one more time, is destructive to the body of Christ. Do we know this? Do you believe this? All right. Um, It's my understanding that Bishop Bill, who preceded me 40 years in this pulpit, he would preach at least once a year on this topic because it is a serious issue. I want you to know, as I shared with the vestry this last Tuesday night, I was formed and spent the beginning years of my life in the Bible Belt. Now, that's a whole other story. But I will say this, that I witness in small towns multiple churches of the same denomination who have split from one another and family members that go to different churches that don't talk to each other over ridiculous things like the color of drapes, what color carpet you have in the church auditorium, uh, sanctuary, and so forth and so forth. That's just so unnecessary and sad in the body of Christ. It's a huge, uh, em- well, I'd say embarrassment, but I would also say a hindrance to our witness in the world. When people in a church community make accusations or pass on information regarding the leadership or any- anyone in the church for that matter, it is gossip. It's destructive and it's divisive. It's unbiblical and it's, it's characteristics of being a pagan, which is a non-Christian. If you find yourself in any group and you hear this kind of talk, I exhort you and encourage you to stop and ask the question, have you talked to that individual you're referencing? 
And if they haven't talked to that individual, you should say, let's stop this conversation right now because this is not the way of the kingdom. Don't you think that's a good way to handle that? And furthermore, even if they talk to the individual that's in reference, but it's an issue that's still being worked out or whatever, and information's being shared and people are being divided, we need to stop that. And gossip is going to be confronted when Christians stand up and in a loving, loving, but clear and truthful way, speak into this and say this is inappropriate. I exhort you to do that. Please stand up because it will divide our church. And that would be very sad. If you find... um, I'm going to move on. Please hear me in this. In every situation and every um, conflict that we have, we all have a part to play. We all have a part to play. I mean, as the the rector of this church, um, I, I try to live my life by falling on the sword for the things that happen here. There are things I legitimately mess up, and I try my very best to take responsibility for those things. Say, I'm sorry, ask for forgiveness. And there are things in this church because the very reason that I'm the rector, I fall on this sword, even though I'm not necessarily personally guilty for that, but because I represent the church, I take, I fall on the sword for that. That's what a good leader does. I don't model this perfectly, but I encourage you to look honestly in your heart and to see what the Holy Spirit is saying in areas of sin or places where we have gotten out of line where we have fallen into things like gossip or anything else for that matter and respond in a way of with with a humble teachable heart by saying i am wrong please forgive me i think that that's a shows a sign of maturity and i know all saints is far too mature than to allow some of these things to keep us living out of line with the gospel and according uh, and the bible um It's unloving not to confront sin that hinders and divides the body of Christ and causes a bad witness to the world. It is unloving and unbiblical to put our our head in the ground and to, to ignore these things. If there is a genuine problem, the sooner it is dealt with, the better. Otherwise, one is actually being unloving to everybody else. Now, having said that, let me let me say this. I know sometimes it's easier because we are the majority of our church family is here on a Sunday um, and we'll say, I'll just talk or I'll take care of it on Sunday. Well, let let me share with you the worst time to deal with a conflict like this (laughs) is right before mass. I, I told the vestry and this is the, the, the only time that I think my voice got stronger and was raised. Stop it. Let's stop it now. And I'm telling you as the church, let's not confront conflict right before mass. It's not healthy. It's not good. And it doesn't put anyone in the right frame of mind coming into worship. And I want to tell you, it doesn't help me as the rector come and try to lead in worship. So timing is important, but we need to handle things in a timely manner. It is loving to go to your brother and sister and help them when they stumble. And the means in which we do confront our brothers and sisters is very important. We do it truthfully, but lovingly, with hope that a person realigns themselves through repentance, which results in a changed lifestyle. Paul says, no work, no food. Of course, there are 
always some who, through age or illness, uh, simply can't work. And they need to be supported. But if someone simply doesn't want to work, they should not eat. Once again, difficult words. If they aren't putting anything in, they should not get anything out. We are not to empower apathy, idleness, laziness, and busybodies. Don't get tired of doing what is right. It is very easy to become tired when we see all around people who are stepping out of line. And when they're saying things that are very hurtful to us. But the dance must go on. And even though we may be tired, we mustn't lose our concentration. Listen to the music of love that sweeps through the hall. Watch our fellow Christians carefully, not judgmentally looking down upon them. Carefully, so that we can stay in line, stay in step, and dance beautifully on the stage of the world, embodying the life of the kingdom of God in word and action. We're called in community to glorify the Father, follow the Son, and be empowered by the Holy Spirit for the work of making disciples, reaching Long Beach and beyond with the transforming love of Jesus Christ. This is our dance. Malachi, whose name means my messenger, warns that the day of the Lord is coming. And on that day, evil will be destroyed like stubble in a fire, but the sun of righteousness will shine on those who fear God. The tree of evil will be burned up. Christians see Christ as the sun by which God will heal and bring justice and righteousness. And as Christians fear future terror and injustice, we can trust in God's healing in in the midst of all of that. Our Old Testament reading, talking about the day of the Lord, calls us to acknowledge our mortality and respond with faith and trust. Our weary and shaken hearts can rest in the good news that God will never abandon us. In other words, the liturgy of this day invites us to trust in God's mercy so that we live through what is temporary without losing what is eternal. The psalm is filled this morning with rejoicing. The Lord has done marvelous things. And made known victory. The Lord will judge the world with righteousness. And we trust that God's promised future is breaking into our midst as we gather around the word and table. In our gospel reading, the main thing he wants us to learn is that there will be a period of waiting when they will have to be patient through dangerous and testing times. And what great event will they be waiting for? Jesus is dramatic action in the temple was a prophetic sign warning of what was to come when he said but the days will come when everything you see will be torn down not one stone will be left standing on another jesus's dramatic action in the temple was a prophetic sign warning of what was to come the temple The most beautiful building one could imagine adorned and decorated by skill and love of hundreds and hundreds of years. And occupying the central place of the national life, religion, and imagination, the temple itself is going to be destroyed and torn down. It had come to stand for the perversion of Israel's vocation that Jesus had opposed through his public ministry, the temple's destruction. This was an unthinkable... um, thing for devout Jewish people as it would be for an American to imagine the destruction of the White House or the Washington Monument, the Statue of Liberty, or even the Twin Towers. But only on a 
much larger scale because the temple signified a thousand years of God's dealing with Israel. Jesus promises, though, that he will give them what they need during the time of waiting, a mouth and wisdom. It refers to the times when people are on trial for their lives because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ. The story of the first generation of Christianity, the times between the resurrection of Jesus and the fall of the temple in 70 AD, bears out these prophecies. But this passage, though vital in its specific reference to the first generation, has to deal with all of the church from then until now. It speaks to us today. Whatever uh, Christians, whenever Christians are persecuted for their faith, and sadly, but not surprisingly, this is still common in many parts of the world today, they need not only the prayers and support of their fellow believers in more fortunate places, but also the comfort and encouragement of these words that Paul speaks. Do not let anyone deceive you. A chance to tell your story. An opportunity to share the gospel in the midst of these circumstances. I'll give you wisdom, he says. You'll keep your lives through patience. So these are still wonderful promises to each one of us to be learned ahead of time and clung to in the moment of need. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.